0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. If you've ever visited Beeson Divinity School here on the campus of Samford University, you've seen our beautiful chapel. Which is named Andrew Jerome Hodges Chapel. Well, this podcast today is is a story about Andrew Jarreau Hodges, who was a trustee of this university for a long time when we actually began Beeson. He was a close friend of uh, Ralph Waldo Beeson. We honor his name in many ways, including the fact that our chapel is named for him. But today we're going to be talking to two people who have a very vested interest in a particular story about Andrew Jarreau Hodges. One is my wife, Denise, who's a wonderful writer many different books, and she has just collaborated with Andrew Jarreau Hodges, Jr., the son of our Andrew Giro Hodges, to write a book called Behind Nazi Lines, My Father's Heroic Quest to Save 149 World War II POWs, just published by Penguin Random House. So Denise, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Tell us why you wrote this book.
1: Thank you, Timothy. Uh, I wrote the book because I knew Jiro. I knew him since 1988 when we first came here, and I knew he was a wonderful, compassionate, great man. Uh, he had been a trustee for 43 years of Samford, and uh, he was quite a businessman and just a compassionate volunteer, but I had no idea. No idea at all that he was a World War II war hero.
0: He was very quiet about that. Very modest, wasn't he?
1: Very humble man. And, uh, my good friend, another trustee of Samford University, Colonel Harlan Hobart Grooms. Uh, we just call him Hopi. Uh, he, uh, had, uh, discovered, uh, Jerome Hodges war story. And uh, when uh, he produced a wonderful documentary called For One English Officer, and I saw the documentary and I thought, my goodness, I did not know that uh, Giro was a war hero, and there's no book out there, and we've just got to get that story out to the public.
0: Now, we have Mr. Hobart Grooms with us today. Hobie, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you.
2: It's a pleasure being here.
0: Now Denise has already introduced you and a little bit of your interest in this story. Why don't you tell us how you first got to know Jerome Hodges and how you got interested in this story?
2: I became a trustee in 1992, and it was at one of the trustee meetings in the uh, late 90s that someone mentioned to me. He said, "You're all you're very interested in World War II history, and and I am, and uh, said you need to talk to jerome Hodges. He was he was involved in some very heroic uh, endeavors concerning prisoners of war uh, while he was with the Red Cross. And uh, that set me on a trail that uh, lasted about four years, I guess. Uh, He was uh, a man that was so humble Mm. that to get him to talk about anything he did other than you could get him to talk about Stanford University uh but it, it was difficult and and every approach I made uh was I didn't really do anything holbert uh, you, you need to talk to the people that really <laughs> were out there that comment but what I did was not all that important and and so I had to keep at it and little by little I finally got him to Look in his files. He loaned me the. He loaned me a history of his of the 94th Division, which they devoted a chapter to his activities in in uh, obtaining the release of the uh, Allied prisoners. And uh, eventually, I don't know how many months later, after my prompting, uh, he said, "I've got some materials. If you'll come over to our sunroom one day, I'll sit down with you and we can go through them." I did, and I realized when he showed me the, his envelope full of photographs and original documents, and it was, it was just an amazing collection of, uh, things, one of a kind. Mm. And I, I, I knew that there was a story there, um, and that this man had been vastly underrated by the, by the people of, of Jefferson County as far as what his participation was.
0: Yes. Now, 149 World War II POWs were rescued from German captivity by, uh, uh, by Jerome Hodges. That is correct. That's an amazing fact in and of itself. Tell us a little bit about that event that around which this whole book, in some ways, has been
2: developed. There were two, uh, as the Americans got into France in 1944, there were two uh, among several pockets. There were two on the Atlantic coast at Lorient Laurent and Saint Nazaire, and there were um, they was, were completely surrounded by uh, Allied uh, soldiers. And they would stay there until the end of the war. And, but they were very large enclaves, uh, uh, heavily fortified, uh, and, and large garrisons. And, uh, there were some French and, uh, uh, American prisoners in, uh, in a hospital in Lorient and on an island about five miles off the coast. And there was another group of prisoners, uh, at uh, Saint-Nazaire in an old uh, hangar uh, that had 75, 65, 75 of them there. And the Americans um, uh, received some letters through French channels uh, from the prisoners, and this set off a chain of events that ended up with the commanding officer of the 94th uh giving jerome, you're the Red Cross man. this is your uh problem handle it mm-hmm. and so he was turned loose on uh, on a series of events. It led to the exchange at, uh, of of hundred and forty nine prisoners but th- this didn't occur at one time over a period of weeks in no october november december of forty four uh, Giroux went by himself through enemy lines, unarmed, and just carrying a Red Cross flag, and, uh, to carry, uh, clothing, food, uh, to be turned over to German officers for, for delivery to the Allied, uh, forces. So, uh, the, the, uh, these events, uh, followed in some very intense and personal. Uh, negotiation between Jarreau on one hand and the Germans on the other. Right. So
0: here's a boy from Alabama. Uh, tell us a little bit about his upbringing, Denise, and his background and kind of what prepared him in some way, uh, even providentially, for this event.
1: Well, he was just a, a boy uh, who uh, grew up in South Alabama, very athletic, but had no money He's, his His family was, as they said, dirt poor. His father was an educated jesse T He was a horse and mule trader and uh, how interesting that this is where uh, Giro learned his negotiating skills to negotiate with these tough German uh officers. He learned it from his father. Uh, as he had listened to him horse trade. Well, he wanted to go to college, and there was just no money. So he decided to come to Howard, and Howard at that time offered him a full football scholarship. And And for
0: some of our listeners who may not know, Howard College was the name of Sanford University when it was begun, actually, in 1841, I think, and became Sanford in the 1960s. So this was the predecessor of what is today Sanford University.
1: Right. Well, he had a football scholarship, and uh, he was doing well in his studies. He loved playing football, and one day during a practice, um, someone tackled him, and the equipment failed and uh it tore up his shoulder mm-hmm. and so he lost um, he lost his ability to play football but howard wanted to give him half the scholarship still and so giro found some jobs and uh, graduated paid his tuition graduated in 1942. Um, but what I think is really interesting about him is when the war broke out, the United States uh, became involved in the war. Jerome and all of his university buddies and friends went down to enlist in the army. And, um, they were all ready to go. A lot of excitement. They wanted to do their part for the country and they would not let Jerome Enlist because of the shoulder. And at that time, about 30% of all the men who went to enlist had some kind of physical, uh, problem or, or damage that they could not, uh, enlist in any part of the military. So it just broke Jerome's heart. He was so sad about that. But, you know, he was the type of person and he, he said, if they, if I can't go through the front door, with my friends and get into the military. Well, then I will just join the American Red Cross and go through the back door. And he did. He became a captain with the American Red Cross, stationed in France, nineteen forty-four, the autumn of forty-four, and um, and that's that's how it ended how you up. Got
0: into the story. Yes. Now there's a part of this story that is. The whole thing's fascinating, but there's one character in particular, and maybe Hobie you could say a little bit about uh, Captain Michael Foote, who had a special kind of
2: role in all of this drama michael foot uh, comes came from a very prominent British family who uh, I think one of his ancestors was the head of the Navy and another one was a very high prior, uh, prominent in uh, officer in the uh, in the army uh, Michael, uh, in, enlisted in the, uh, British Army and at a later time, uh, was, had a chance to go into the Special Air Service or SAS. So this is the, this is the cream of the cream as far as, as the military is concerned. It's something like being in the Delta Force or, uh, in, in the United States. It's highly specialized, uh, uh, ultra secret even today in in a lot of their activities but he uh he did did well and was uh, uh sent on a mission to france to uh try to dispose of a German officer who had been torturing uh, allied prisoners and members of the resistance and uh unfortunately he was captured mm-hmm. uh, his father. Uh, a general uh, in the British Army and in charge of the air defense of city of London, uh, heard about that he was a prisoner. He uh, went to France, as generals can do, but no one else can. He, he went to France and, and went to the division and met with uh, uh, Giraud. And uh, by this time, Giraud knew that there were prisoners there, but uh, he, he said, I would like for you to get my son out. Drew says, I will get your son out, but I will get all of them out. I will not go just to get your son. Uh, this uh, this connection with his father uh, and getting to know him, talk about each other's past as different as they com- could possibly be. And this contrast between General Foote, his son Michael, and the boy from Hartsel, Alabama, uh, the son of a horse trader uh, was fascinating to me, um, and this was uh, this was the one English officer that he uh, went to retrieve and did retrieve through a, a, a convoluted uh, series of adventures that uh, proved to me once again that God can take something bad, the injury to a man and the loss of his scholarship and turn it into something good, a man serving with his knowledge and background and experience in an area that no one else could have brought off like he did. The old, what was termed by Michael Foote, a military historian of some note, uh, later said that he was not aware of any similar incident in World War II where one man negotiated the freedom of so many as the, as these 149.
0: Now, in the year 2002, we hosted a reunion here at Sanford University of some of the prisoners. Uh, many of them came. I'll, I, I'll never forget that event. I was asked to give a prayer or something. I was there. And uh, tell us about it, because you, Gero, uh, you, you and Jerome
2: were really key in making that happen. It was. It was uh, certainly Jerome not me, that pulled them back to Sanford University. Many of these uh, People were scattered all over the United States. I was able to locate 12. Well, I located a few more, but some could not come. And uh, they were, uh, they had, none of them had met Giroux. Many of them never heard of Giroux. They were sent out, sent into hospitals and into combat. Uh, and it was uh, this type of thing that uh, was fascinating to me. Uh, that placed gerro in this situation where he was uh negotiating people who who we, he would meet decades later mm-hmm. we we had the qu- we were making this this uh film and we had a, a a problem how do we interview people and they're scattered all over the united states and uh that you're talking about real expense. Uh, and so, Tom Cortz, our president, suggested, well, why don't we bring him here for a reunion in honor of Jerome Hodges? Mm. Which I thought was a stroke of genius and I would have never come up with anything that smart. <laughs> but in any event, uh, we, they planned the banquet at the Vestavia Country Club. We had over 200 people in attendance, we had twelve, and we invited all of the prisoners and their families and uh, this was a a, a really a, a, a wonderful time for each of them and their uh, but it gave me a chance to sit down over in the nursing school and and take their stories. With a reporter and and do audio of each of these, and these stories from their lips form the accounts that played out in the movie and were play and also played out in denise's book
0: and the name of the documentary film that you were involved in was
2: for one English officer that comes back from a i think one of the most dramatic. Uh, moments of this whole uh, uh experience Giroux uh was went into enemy lines at saint uh with a letter in german from his division head authorizing him to meet with and uh the german commandant he did not know whether the the letter got there or not i mean he couldn't mail it to them they they tried to forward it, I think, through some French intermediaries. Um, Giraud was taken in blindfolded uh, by car and then by a uh, motorboat uh, across the Royal River into German headquarters where his blindfold was taken off. They began negotiating for the release of the prisoners. Here was Giraud by himself facing five German officers, the highest being the rank of colonel, another one being the personal representative of the general who is in charge of the whole San Isaiah uh, pocket or, or in enclave. Hitler called it Fortress San Azair mm. and Fortress Lorient. They got down to actually the exchanging of the prisoner list. And, um, Giroux says there's a name that's not on this list. And, uh, they, picked out there's a couple of names they picked out two and they said well, those two escaped several days ago two and there was he said well there was an English officer that was to be on this list and he said well he's injured uh michael uh, uh, lieutenant foot is or is injured and or captain foot excuse me captain foot is injured and uh he's not he 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 is a special case he he will not be exchanged and they said well you know if, if no exchange the deal is off hmm. Giroux said that Giroux said that to his hmm. audience and uh this was this stunned them that he would pass up All of the prisoners are French prisoners, French resistance, uh, Americans, and uh, several British. Uh, They, he took, and he stood fast and just started to pick up his papers and walk out. And they said, well, the Colonel uh, Pinsky, who was the senior officer there, said, would you risk the lives and forfeit the freedom of all of these officers for, and men for one English officer. And he said, absolutely, I would. Or for one one British private or one French uh, uh, soldier. Uh, It's either all or it's none.
0: So Giroux had a sense of the value of him as a human being made in the image of God. It wasn't the fact that his father was a general or anything like that, but because he was precious and important as a child of God.
2: Absolutely. Um I heard Jerome one time we were in we were reflecting on this and he said, "You know, I felt the hand of God in this whole experience." And Jerome a devout was a devout Christian and uh he uh, carried that along. He said, "Well, they finally after negotiating, they demanded that they have received 5 uh, officers with the highest German uh, award, the uh, the uh, Iron Cross, Knight's Cross of the Iron Cross, mm-hmm. they call it the uh, the cross at the neck, uh, and uh, Giroux, uh really humiliated them into finally agreeing to one for one, with the idea that they w- would be volunteer a volunteer, and he said no, we we must. I, I will have to see Captain Foote before this deal is concluded. I want to see if he's still alive. Hmm. I want to see what he's like. And they said, oh, it can't be done. He's in the hospital in La Ball. Uh, and uh, he, they went on and, and, and talked some more. And he, they said, very well, we'll take you there. So they blindfolded him, put him in a car, took him to the hospital, and there he was able to to see Foot and determine that he, in fact, was alive.
0: Our friend Eric Metaxas has said this about this book, Behind Nazi Lines, filled with secret missions, Nazi villains, and daring escapes that actually happened behind Nazi lines is thrilling, epic, inspiring, and have we mentioned true? Andy Hodges is a real hero whose story must never be forgotten. Now, we're almost out of time, but, Denise, I wanted to ask you to say a little bit about the style in which you wrote this book. I mean, you've written 27 books, so uh, tell us a little bit about the particular style of n- narrative nonfiction that you're using here.
1: Right. Um, it's a new genre in writing, and uh, it takes the nonfiction story, very accurate, based on truth, everything is, is true, and it, it uses the techniques of fiction to make it just come alive. And the reader feels like he or she is right there in the story. Um, the narrative nonfiction was made really popular uh, by Laura Hillenbrand's book, Unbroken. And, uh, but I, I would want to say too, I wanted this, I wanted it to be a compelling story. I wanted it to be a page turner, um, with a lot of action. And, um, I also wanted it to go into the school systems for the older students to see just what, uh, these men and women sacrificed in World War II. Um the veterans how how they protected this country, and I wanted to put the book in a style of writing that would appeal to people and it reads just like a novel but it's it's very it's all all true and I also want to thank Hobie grooms because he did. All this research, he had it in this wonderful lawyer's big notebook, and uh, I knew very little about World War II when uh, I started to write this story under contract with, with the publisher. And... Um, I remember um I would ask Hobie all kinds of questions about world war two and and uh, he was an expert is an expert and he's he's a former marine, and he knew every single answer and one one interesting thing when I started to write, <laughs> I had Giro opening a jeep door. And, uh, when, uh, Hobie read that, he said, Denise, and he's just such a nice person. I'm talking about you like you're not here. But he said, uh, Denise, um, uh, jeeps don't have doors. <laughs> And there was it was just you know one thing after the next I got wrong. So and, he saved uh, you
0: from some mistakes. He saved. I tell you, it was yes. interesting coming home, Hobie, and seeing Denise's study where she writes and all these maps of World War II. And <laughs> sure. I never would have guessed my wife would be interested in military history. But
1: I remember. Do you remember the time he came in and he said, Denise, uh, let's have supper. And I said, Oh wait, I can't. I'm up in a plane. I'm getting ready to crash over enemy territory. You just have to supper. I have to wait, Timothy. It just let me get through this, uh, this crash and make sure I'm on safe land first.
0: Our Beeson colleague, uh, Dr. Lyle Dorset is also a great scholar of World War II, and he says this about the book you've written, one of the most intriguing books I have ever read on World War II, captivating and nearly impossible to put down. I recommend it with enthusiasm to professional historians, history buffs, and anyone who wants to be inspired and entertained. The book is titled Behind Nazi Lines, My Father's Heroic Quest to Save 149 World War II POWs, written by Denise George and Andrew Jerome Hodges, Jr., the son of Jerome Hodges that we've been talking about. You all have collaborated on this book. It's just out from Penguin Random House. You can get it on Amazon.com or wherever you get books. It's a great read, a page-turner. I want to thank you both for this interview thank and for you. bringing this story to life again. Thank you so thank much. You.